we're going to begin a short series on God and kings when politicians led revival. There have been seasons, not only in biblical history, but in American history and world history, when kings and presidents and politicians have been at the forefront of great moves of God. Seven of our presidents in America have graduated from Harvard University. 106 of the first 108 colleges and universities in America were started and formed by Christians for the purpose of educating people in the gospel, whatever field they were in, that they knew who they were and what they were about. Albany State University was founded by a Baptist pastor who went all over the South raising money to build buildings and to teach people, whether they were teachers or nurses or preachers, to be ambassadors of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Most of the presidents of these schools were Christians. In the founding ruling precepts of Harvard University, you find these words. They have about six or seven. I'm just going to read part of two of them. Number two, let every student be plainly instructed and earnestly pressed to consider well the main end of his life and studies is to know God and Jesus Christ, which is the eternal life, John 17, 3. And therefore to lay Christ in the bottom as the only foundation of all sound knowledge and learning. And seeing the Lord only giveth wisdom, let everyone seriously set himself by prayer in secret to seek it of him. Proverbs chapter 2 and chapter 3. Ruling precept number 3, still at Harvard University. Everyone should so exercise himself in reading the scriptures twice a day that he shall be ready to give such an account of his proficiency therein. How you think matters. What you say are the core values matter. It matters in education, it matters in government, it matters in the home, it matters on every level. Asa is a leader who in the 15th year of his reign, God began to do some incredible things. During the two preceding reigns of preceding kings in the divided kingdom, they had given themselves to idol worship. They had forsaken the worship of God, and, and God brought this king to the stage at a time when the nation needed moral leadership and godly leadership. God brought this king to the stage, and he began to teach the people to understand and to follow the laws of God. It is interesting to me that although the Ten Commandments were on the walls of the United States Supreme Court, they don't have a clue what they mean. But there was a day in this land when the men and women who sat on court benches and the men and women who sat in Congress and in the office of president there was a day when they understood honor and fear God. And we need to pray, if we're going to have revival in this land, that God would send us those kind of leaders. Maybe he's going to raise them up in our children and in our young people. Maybe he's going to touch 
this new generation, but however he does it, and with whoever he does it through, we need to pray for godly leaders in our land. In most revivals, the leader comes in a time of desperation and crisis, but here, in this revival, it's unusual. The things were going well, but revival was needed. There was a reformation going on. There was a military buildup. The economy was going well. Uh, things were coming together as a nation. And, and there were a lot of positive things going on in the land at that time. But they had not done away with idolatry. They had not moved away from some of the things that had influenced those generations. And so Asa shows up about 35 years after the death of Solomon. And now in the divided kingdom, and we see some characteristics of his reform in chapter 14. Asa did good and right in the sight of the Lord his God. For he removed the foreign altars and high places, tore down the sacred pillars, cut down the ashram, and commanded, he commanded the nation, folks. <laughs> Are you ready? He commanded the nation to seek God. That would be a welcome thought. Rather than press conferences and pontificating and political ads, it would be a welcome thought for somebody somewhere to command the nation to seek God. That's what he did. He commanded Judah to seek the Lord God of their fathers and to observe the law and the commandment. He also removed the high places and the incense altars from all the cities of Judah and the kingdom was undisturbed. Here's what happens when people seek God. The kingdom was undisturbed under him. There was peace in the land. Everybody talks about how there's going to be peace in the land. God tells us how there's going to be peace in the land. Seek the Lord. Remove the idols. Now look at three things. First of all, verse 2, he pursued righteousness. He pursued righteousness. He didn't wait and try to get it by osmosis. He pursued righteousness. Secondly, he dealt with evil, verses 3 and 5. He didn't ignore it. He didn't hope it would go away. He dealt with it. And thirdly, he led the people to seek the Lord, verse 4. He led the people to seek the Lord. So, in verse 4, there is seeking. In verse 5, there is removing. And in verse 6, there was no one to war with during those years because the Lord had given him rest, the people began to realize that following God has some benefits. Now, they had to deal with this idolatry, the removing of the high places and the incense altars. Ernest Baker says this, idolatry is degrading to character and demoralizing to social life. It obscures God. The history of the Jews shows that idolatry could not be dealt with on any other line but an intolerant one. There are evils among us as demoralizing as idolatry was among the Jews. Here's what we've forgotten. We've forgotten that the days of our greatest blessings, the days when slavery was removed, when hospitals were started, when schools of higher education were started, all of those happened in the context of revival. They did not happen in the context of laws from Congress. They first happened in the hearts of people 
who began to think of others through the heart and mind of God. And so Asa is a leader in this revival. Second thing is the core values of his worldview. Everybody has a worldview. Everybody has a worldview. What, what's your worldview? Well, I would submit to you that the best worldview is a biblical Christian worldview. Because through it, you judge and evaluate what's going on in the world, whether it is of God or not of God, whether it is drawing you closer to a relationship with Christ or whether it is causing you to have a divided heart and a divided mind. Look at verse 2. Asa did good and right in the sight of the Lord. Now in 2 Chronicles and in the parallel passages in 1 Kings, we see seek the Lord nine times. So this is a theme that runs through this book. As you go through it, the 36 chapters of this book, which we will not take time to do, but as you go through it, you discover that there were five kings who led great revivals. And during that time, to seek was used in Chronicles 29 times. I think God was trying to tell them and us, you need to seek the Lord. You need to seek after God. He sought after God. Now, if you turn back a few pages to 2 Chronicles chapter 7, 2 Chronicles chapter 7, you see what God told Solomon should be prayed if there came a time when the people got away from God, when the nation walked away from God, when it decided that it knew better than God. When a nation did that, he gave a Solomon a specific prayer to pray. Chapter 7 and verse 12. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon at night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. If I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people, and my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray, and what's the next phrase? Seek my face. Not seek that God would send rain, not seek that God would get rid of the locusts, but seek my face. Not seek deliverance because it makes our lives easier, but seek the face of God because that's who we need and that's what we need. And so he says, if you'll seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then, and I would say that it's emphatic to say then and only then, I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. So look at what he says that we're to pray, that they would humble themselves, pray and seek and turn. So what are the results of doing what God says? Did anybody ever tell you when you were growing up, you know, you ought to do what your mom says, you ought to do what your daddy says, because there are consequences. I knew in my house there were consequences. There were often come-to-Jesus meetings, which meant that if I didn't change, I might be seeing Jesus and coming into his presence. But what happens when you do what God says? Hey, what is God going to do? What, what, does, what are the results when God says something and we do it? First of all, there's a time of peace. There's a time of peace. We live in a world of strife and fear. Almost every day you turn on the news 
and there's been some killing, some terrorist act, some meaningless shooting, something has happened, something's going on that makes us live in fear. We're not going to have peace by having more laws. We're going to have peace when we're at peace with God. So there's a time of peace. Secondly, there's an awareness of God's presence. Second Chronicles 15, there's an awareness of God's presence. That we live with an awareness that God is among us and God is among his people. You cannot read the history of the founding of this nation and understand how we could defeat a massive, the biggest army and navy in the world with a bunch of guys with hunting rifles, you cannot explain it apart from the fact that God intervened and moved in this land and provided us the opportunity to have religious freedom and freedom of worship and freedom of speech and freedom of assembly, which most of the world knows nothing about and which we daily take for granted. There's an awareness of the presence of God. And thirdly, there was victory over their foes. Chapter 14, verses 9 through 15, and chapter 16, verses 1 through 10. God was ready to work. Are we ready for him to work? I believe God right now is ready to send revival to our land. I believe he's looking for a people. I believe he's looking for a leader that he can entrust with a revival that would sweep and change the culture in which we live in. And it could literally happen overnight. All kinds of streams are moving together. For that to happen. So what are the consequences of having godly leaders? Why should we pray for godly leaders? Because this king listened to a prophet. Now, sometimes prophets quit being prophets when they're invited to the king's table. Because they want to make sure they get a selfie with the king so they can post it on their social media. This prophet was not interested in whether or not the king liked him. He was interested in telling the king what the truth was. Look at chapter 15, verse 1. Chapter 15 and verse 1. Now the Spirit of God came on Azariah, the son of Oded, and he went out to meet Asa and said to him, Listen to me, Asa. And all Judah and Benjamin, the Lord is with you when you are with him don't be presumptuous the Lord is with you when you are with him and if you seek him he will let you find him but if you forsake him he will forsake you for many days Israel was without the true God and without a teaching priest and without law in other words the church and religion had just gone by the wayside but in their distress, is it going to take that for us? To get to the point of distress when we find out we don't have the things that we've taken for granted? In their distress, they turned to the Lord God of Israel and they sought him and he let them find him. In those times, there was no peace to him who went out or to him who came in. In other words, nobody was safe. Every place was dangerous. Every place was trouble. There was nothing that was safe about the land there was danger everywhere and for many dis uh, disturbances afflicted all the inhabitants of the lands nation was crushed by nation and city by city for God troubled them with every kind of distress but you be strong 
and do not lose courage, for there is reward for your work. Now, let me give you about four things here. First of all, godly leaders listen to godly counsel. If you want to be a leader, you better listen to godly counsel. Don't lick the finger and hold your finger up and see which way the wind's blowing and go with it. Godly leaders listen to godly counsel. Secondly, godly leaders don't think they know it all. They don't think they know it all. I mean, if you see somebody who thinks they're a leader and they think the most impressive person they've ever met is the person they see in the mirror every morning, they're not a great leader. If somebody's got to tell you all the time that they're a great leader, or if they've got to tell you what their title is, they're not a great leader. You see, we don't know it all. No leader knows it all. That's why Proverbs says there's wisdom in many counselors. Godly leaders learn the lessons of history. Apparently, we're not learning those really well. Because history is replete with stories of you don't do it God's way, there are some very negative consequences. And finally, godly leaders make the courageous decision, not always the popular one. God give us politicians that worry more about saying what is right than getting elected. That would be another way of putting it. You see, if somebody tells you what you want to hear so that you'll vote for them, and then tell somebody else that believes something different what they want to hear so they'll vote for them. That person in the Greek is called a liar. L-I-A-R. And their campaign song is Liar, Liar, Pants on Fire. <laughs> you don't want somebody to tell you what you want to hear. You want somebody to tell you what you need to hear. Why is it that we, when we go to a doctor, we want him to tell us what we need to hear? Why is it when we go to a drugstore, we want him to fill the prescription we need, not just go grab a bottle and say, I don't know what this is for, but try it for a while? Why is it when we get on an airplane, we want a pilot that knows how to get that thing off the ground and knows how to land it too? And then we come to church or we listen to a politician and we say, well, you know, I've got my own opinions about that thing. I'll tell you what. Next time you get on a flight out of the Albany Airport, just go up and tell a pilot you'd like to take over. Bye. <laughs> you won't be coming back. You know, just ignore your doctor. Just ignore the pharmacist. Just, you see, you and I need to understand that when God is working in revival, the people are responsive to leaders that have the courage to say what needs to be said. So here's a man who has courage, a leader who has courage, and the results of his leadership are incredible. The nation was strong, the country was safe, preachers had the liberty to preach without apology, the priests had false altars removed so that they could return and offer sacrifices to Jehovah. The courts ruled on the side of righteousness and the military was equipped to do their job. I would say that's a pretty good country to live in. If all those things were true, I would say that's a good country to live in. I would also submit to you that those are all signs of the revival and the reformation under Asa. Now, here's what we need to do. And this is hard for some of you. It might be hard for me sometimes. We need to pray for those who are in authority. It's a lot easier to post and share on Facebook 
and to send out a 140-character tweet than it is to stop and pray for those who are in authority. So let me ask you a question. When's the last time you prayed for the mayor? When's the last time you prayed for our commissioners? When's the last time you prayed for the police chief or the sheriff? When's the last time you prayed for the FBI? When's the last time you prayed for your state representatives and senators? When's the last time you prayed for the governor? When's the last time you prayed for your congressman? When's the last time you prayed for the president? Say, well, I don't like some of those people. God didn't ask you whether you liked them or not. Told you to pray for them. So guess what? If you haven't prayed for any of those people this week, you've been disobedient all week. All week long to the Word of God. Now, here's where I'm going to show you. 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. Look at it. First of all, then, I urge that entreaties and prayers and petitions and thanksgiving be made on behalf of all men for kings and all who are in authority so that why should I pray for people in authority there's a so that so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior Paul says under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit it's good that you do this. It's acceptable in the sight of God. When God sees his people praying for those who are in authority, God says, that's good. Well, what if they're doing bad? Pray for them. Only God can get into some offices. And only God can write on the wall so that kings see it and know they're in trouble. So, I'm supposed to pray for these people. Now, look at it. First of all, Prayer is essential. That's what he's saying. This is essential. It's important. All men. Why? Because no one is beyond the influence of prayer. Nobody. No person can stop your prayers. They go to heaven and they shoot straight back down to where they need to be. For kings and all those who are in authority. Now you got to remember, Nero was a pagan reprobate. And Paul is telling a church that is beginning to undergo persecution in the Roman Empire, Paul is saying, you pray for Nero, you pray for the people, you pray for those soldiers that are knocking on your doors and coming in and dragging you out and throwing you into prison. You pray for them. That's a little tough. But we are to pray for all those who are in authority that we may live peaceful and quiet lives. Paul prays this in knowing that the world was beginning to increasingly persecute the church. This is good and acceptable. It pleases God to do this. Now, let me tell you how the church changed the world. Paul is converted on the road to Damascus. He is sent to take the gospel to the Gentiles. He goes to every major city in Asia Minor and he preaches the gospel and he plants a church and he leads people to pray. And within a couple of hundred years, the entire Roman Empire and its power and its might and its pantheon of gods has collapsed and Constantine proclaims that Christianity is a religion of the nation. Now, there may have been some bad side effects from that, 
But I can tell you what stopped. Persecution stopped. Persecution stopped. Now some of you, and I'm like the old, I'm like the old Scottish farmer. I would not harm thee for the world, but I'm about to shoot where you stand. Some of you are so bent out of shape about this election that you're angry and you're polarized and you don't talk to people that disagree with you. I want you to find a chapter and verse that justifies you acting that way. You come show me the chapter and verse that tells you you can act like that. Now here's why that's important. Because I have a sovereign God who sits on a throne and he's not worried about what's going to happen in November. He's not worried about what's going to happen at the next council meeting. He's not worried about what's going to happen on foreign soil anywhere because he is king of kings and lord of lords. And the psalmist says he laughs at nations that mock him. Can I tell you something? God is laughing at the leaders in this country that think they can get away with mocking him. You just get your eyes on Jesus. Because we can't change some things. But we can change the hearts of people by praying and believing that God is greater than anybody or anything that postures themselves in such a way to say, trust me, I'll help you. You and I need to understand the world in which we live. If we don't have revival, we are going to have a riot. The devil has polarized this nation, us against them, and he's even doing it inside the church. I've got friends that are mad at me because I won't tell them who I'm voting for, and I'm not going to tell them who I'm voting for, and I'm not going to use this pulpit to tell you who to vote for. Here's what I'm going to tell you to do. Get on your face before God. Get in your word and you ask God how you're supposed to vote. And I'll trust God with that decision. If we want peace, we need to humble ourselves. If we want the presence of God, we need to seek the Lord. If we want a godly nation, we need him to heal our land. Chapter 14 and verse 11. Lord, there is no one besides you to help in the battle between the powerful and those who have no strength. So help us, O Lord our God, for we trust in you and in your name have come against this multitude. O Lord, you are our God. Let not man prevail against you. Part of what I'll do in this series will be to refer to presidents and leaders this country and other countries that have sought the Lord. I found a page out of George Washington's private journal. Something that he wrote down on one day of his life while he was president of the United States. And this is what he said. Increase my faith in the sweet promises of the gospel. Give me repentance from dead works. Pardon my wanderings. And direct my thoughts unto thyself, the God of my salvation. Teach me how to live in thy fear. Labor in thy service. 
and ever to run in the ways of thy commandments. Make me always watchful over my heart, that neither the terrors of conscience, the loathing of holy duties, the love of sin, nor an unwillingness to depart this life may cast me into a spiritual slumber. But daily frame me more and more into the likeness of thy Son, Jesus Christ, that living in thy fear and dying in thy favor, I may in thy appointed time attain the resurrection of the just unto eternal life. Bless my family, friends, and kindred. That's a king who could have been a king, but he decided to be a president and stepped out, and they wanted him to stay on. And that was his prayer. I wonder if we would be the people of Psalm 24, 6. Is this the generation of those who seek him, that seek his face? Would you pray with me, please? And here's what I'm going to ask you to do. In this moment of invitation, if you need to come and give your heart and life to Jesus Christ, to ask him to be your personal Lord and Savior, I'm going to ask you to, to step out and find one of these men at the end of these aisles and say, I, I need to trust Christ today. Maybe you're here for the first time. Maybe you've been here a lot. Maybe God's been convicting you about something, and, and you need to settle it today. I'm going to ask you to just step out and come. We're not going to sing, but I am going to ask you to step out and come and profess faith in Jesus Christ. But for all of you that know Jesus Christ, I'm going to ask you to right now, in this moment, in agreement, in harmony with the Holy Spirit, with God the Father, and with God's Word, I'm going to ask you right now to begin praying for the leaders of our nation, our mayor, our commissioners, our councilmen, our sheriff, our police chief, our governor, our representatives, our senator, our national representatives, the people on the Supreme Court, the President of the United States. And here's what I want to ask you to pray. God, get a hold of them. Wake them up. Stir their hearts. Bring them to their knees. But whatever you do, would you get a hold of the hearts and minds of the people who lead this land? And if they are resistant to you, would you raise up leaders who will not resist you? Would you raise up people in this generation to seek your face and to seek your name? Now, some of you need to come to this altar and just get on your knees before God. Some of you could turn the seat that you're in into an altar. You could just turn around and get on your knees right where you are. But folks, times are too desperate and too hard and it's too serious for us to just make a nodding agreement that we need revival. We desperately need God to move in our land and in our midst. We need the Spirit of God to awaken us to the reality that without repentance and revival, we are going to face a coming judgment. 
And it's not going to be a slight slap of the hand. It's going to be a brutal judgment on a people that have rejected God when God has shown us favor over and over and over and over and over again. And yet we treat it as if it's a right and a privilege when it really is a responsibility on our part to pray for those who are in authority. Ask the God of heaven to hear you. Ask the God of heaven to speak to people that you may never get to speak to. Ask God if he has to whisper or if he has to shout. That there would be an acknowledgement that there's only one God. He's not a God revealed in multiple ways. He's the I am. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father by, by him. Pray for people that are leaders, that are lost, that need to be saved, that need to know the love of Jesus Christ. Because without Christ, they're acting in their own wisdom. They're acting in their flesh, and they can only get what their flesh can do. But when we cry out to God, we get what God can do. Pray for our military leaders as they try to lead in a difficult time with battles seemingly on every front. Pray for the men and women that are out there somewhere defending your right to pray and to worship and to assemble. Ask God to move in undeniable ways because there is a God and nobody you're praying for is it. You're praying to the one true God. He's the one, the only one, that can bring about revolutionary change. Now, while your heads are bowed, let me just encourage you one more thing. Back off on your posting about politics and increase your posting about the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Because when this world finds out ultimately that every worldly leader disappoints and lets us down, they're going to need someone to turn to. And they might need to know that you know the one they need to turn to. So be unapologetic about your faith. You may lose followers, you'll get over it. But you better make sure you're following the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Because he's the only one that can get us out of the mess we're in. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would rend heaven and come down. Not just that the mountains might shake, but that the nations might shake. God, would you move into this land, a land that does not deserve another day of mercy and grace, and would you move in and bring repentance to the hearts of people that lead us in ungodly ways and bring backbone to people that seek to lead in godly ways. Lord, we live in a day when 
so many people are trying to divide and yet you're the only person that can bring people together from every tribe and tongue and nation and ethnicity you're the only one that can bring people together you're the only one that can replace hate and put in place fear love and fear of God God do what only you can do in a way that only you can do it so that when it's done we would not take credit but all we could simply say is that we were a part of the many who were seeking the Lord may our seeking be sincere and consistent because the times are desperate and we need to step up our prayer in Jesus name